2: from the Nasdaq market site overlooking New York City's Times Square. This is Fast Money. I'm Melissa Lee. Tonight's trader lineup, Guy Dami, Tim Seymour, Karen Finerman, and Jeff Mills. Tonight on Fast, the apes go bananas. AMC making a major about face. Following days of losses, the trading volume off the charts. We're diving into this blockbuster turnaround with one of the biggest voices in the trade. Plus, Wall Street's top bull is out with a big warning for the new year. Why Chris Harvey of Wells Fargo Securities sees losses mounting in 2022, and later investors hitching a ride with Uber today. The stock jumping 4%. What the company's CEO said about bookings that sent that stock rallying. But we start off with investors ringing the register. On the big tech trade, take a look at the losses in Microsoft, that stock down more than 3%. Other names like Alphabet, Apple, Amazon also slipping in today's session, but we're closing well off the lows. The selling comes ahead of tomorrow's Fed decision, and one of our traders says market because today could be the day the music died for the big tech trade. Clearly, that was Tim Seymour who said that. Um, so, Tim, explain <laughs> yourself.
0: Well, it's a case whether the the market has died or whether the music has died um it's possible uh investors who've been taking their chevy to the levy over and over uh the lever the levy may be dry so don McLean's great song sorry for the the metaphor here um think about microsoft at one point today was down almost five percent uh closed down 3.3 ish um wrestled with the 50 day and it's only done that a couple times really in the last year um if you think about the overall weightings for the market. So, you know, we talk about the NASDAQ 100 all the time. I mean, if you add in Tesla and NVIDIA to the big five of of Apple, uh, Microsoft, Google, uh, Amazon, Meta, um, you're at roughly 52%, 52% in seven stocks in the NASDAQ 100. That Nasdaq 100 um, is underperforming the S&P by about three percent over the last nine days, and this is this is the theme. And we've said this uh, over and over on this show because we've been talking about a market in some pain for some time. So did the music die today? No, but but Microsoft, which has really been leading the big techs uh, upward, it, it's it's certainly when you think about that the broader S&P is now those same stocks uh, close to 28, 29 percent weighting in 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 just the, the six or seven biggest companies in the world that should con concern investors. And and is today uh, the day the music died? Maybe not. It's certainly not the day the market died. Um, And was that the day the music died at that fateful plane crash? Probably not either. Um, But this is a moment. It's a wake up call. And I think we've talked about this.
2: A lot of metaphors in there that I'm not sure I understand, but I understand what you're talking about in terms (laughs) of the stocks, because, I mean, it does feel a little bit different. You mentioned the underperformance. I mean, even just today with the Nasdaq 100 down 1%, usually it's sort of the I don't want to say the fringe stocks, but the higher valuation stocks. It's not the big cap tech stocks that are leading the way lower to see Microsoft down by that much during the day. Guy, it it felt different.
3: Felt different. And listen, I think the big bopper in this equation would be Apple. And if you look, go back to November 30th, since November (laughs) 30th, each day since the stock has traded north of 100 million shares, I think it the zenith with about 175 million shares. I mention that because that's historic volume for Apple over the course of the last you know, seven or eight, probably more trading days. I think a lot of people have piled in late. I think that's fine. I think even better would be sort of this move back down to a trend line, which comes at about 155. So I don't think the music has died, but I think the song might be over for a little while. And I think that's a healthy thing. So Microsoft, you're going to get an opportunity. Nothing's changed in terms of fundamentals for any of these companies. I think what's changed is people's risk appetite on the back of what appears to be a pretty hawkish Fed meeting tomorrow.
2: Yeah, and the argument for an Apple, let's say, that that Bear, uh, Bulls were making just a couple weeks ago, a few weeks ago, Karen, was that this is, this is a trade that you want to be in in good times and bad, that it affords you some protection, some defense in good times and bad times. And it, when you need secular growth, you go to Apple. When the economy uh, is doing well, you want to go to Apple. So, what is it this time around? I mean, what, what can the argument be this time around, Karen, to say, you know what, it should still go higher? Or is there?
4: Well, I'm long, so I hope there is a, is an argument, and I'll make it, which is I think we still have a lot of 5G to go, and I think that the mix of Apple has obviously changed a lot. So when you get in, um, you know the the subscription revenue or the you know the the recurring revenue should obviously trade at a higher multiple. So that creates some ballast for the hardware part, which should trade at a lower multiple, and putting those all together. And with the incredible amount of cash that they have and the buybacks that they do, I I think that the value um, proposition for Apple is far different than some of the high flyer tech stocks. You know, the ones that like a DocuSign where it comes in a ton and is still not remotely close to a value stock, right? So for me, I'm long Apple, I'm long Microsoft, uh, Amazon, Alphabet, and Facebook. And to me, particularly Alphabet and Facebook. I don't put in that category at all. I think of them as actual value stocks when you back out the cash of those. They're trading f- Facebook under a market multiple or meta as it's called doesn't even have any meta fluff in it at all. So I'm sticking with those. But what I'm not sticking with is IGV, which is the real tech high flyers. And I think I, think, I feel like the music has died. Could it like scratch around and come back a little? Maybe. But the Fed has told us what they're going to do. And in the face of that, I don't know how these, you know, super high flyers can retain those multiples. One, that, one thing I got to add, though, I've been short the IGV for a while. I just had to cover the, some today because it's moved $60 off that $440 change that it, that it peaked. And I just feel like if that wasn't why you're in it to hedge, then why do it at all?
2: All right. So, Jeff, what what is this, um, you know, selling pressure in, in big cap tech all about Then, I mean, the fundamental case can still be made. Is this just we can be intellectual about this and say, yes, they are value stocks for X, Y and Z reason. Karen laid out a very good case for a lot of them. But in this market, do we differentiate or is it just dump tech? Because that's the rotation that's going on right now.
5: I don't think it's dump tech, and I I think you still want to differentiate between the really high flyers and and some of these more solid stocks that are, uh, you know, have a little bit more reasonable valuations, for example. I know we're all very focused on Microsoft today. You have to remember that's a stock that's up 47% year to date, so a little bit of selling heading into the end of the year. You know, I don't know that that sets off any real alarm bells for me. And, and I don't think that the big tech trade has died. If anything, I think it might just be getting going. You may have a little bit of a quiet period, say through the first quarter of 2022, because the economy still looks pretty good. But I'm operating under this thesis where the economy actually starts to slow as we move through 2022. You have falling money supply, global short rates have risen, prices have obviously risen. So I think financial conditions start to tighten a little bit. And in slowdowns, you want strong fundamentals. And it just so happens that technology has the highest concentration of profitable companies. So think about you know AMD, Apple, AMAT, Microsoft. You know, these are names that I think continue to do very well. And relative to the Fed, I think we all know what's coming. But look back to the 15, 18 period where the Fed was tightening. Tech outperformed. The tenure increased, so I don't think that the tech trade necessarily has to go poorly because of the macro backdrop right now.
2: So I'll go back to Tim, and you talked about Chevys and Levees and all sorts of other things that I'm not really sure how it connects exactly to this conversation. Do you change your report? Yeah, I mean, do you that. change or trade around this at all, or do you just say, you know what, but the fundamental story has not changed, and so this is what the market is doing right now, but I'm not doing that?
0: Well, we, we talk about are you an investor or a trader, especially in a stock like Apple, and I think there's been plenty of opportunities. I, I, it, you have to point out that on the week when we were wrestling with a $3 trillion company, Apple has tripled. So we talked about that trillion-dollar valuation in August 2018. Um, it's three and a quarter years later, and uh, the biggest company in the world has tripled. Um, why has it tripled? Um, Yes, it's a better company on some level, it's a more diversified company into services, it deserves a higher multiple, et cetera. We can all debate that, and I I agree with that. And I'm an investor in Apple. I'm just telling you that the hawkish Fed that we're talking about has a lot to do with the move in these stocks. You cannot tell me uh, the liquidity profile that's been passive flows, Guy mentions this all the time. Um, The ETF dynamics of just levitating the market higher based upon liquidity is something that we all need to think about. The fundamentals are fine in these big five and even in these big seven, they're extraordinary. Um, I I am worried about a dynamic where the market at some point becomes bigger than the individual five stories. Uh, And again, just I pointed out the concentration in those stocks because at some point, um, they are more uh, disproportionate to what you'd want in this market. And and I I get that that's been very beneficial to people for a long time, but I'm talking about the S&P now is 27%, these six stocks, these seven stocks. That troubles me. And and so it's not about, you know, are they still investable? Market dynamics uh, with a Fed that's dramatically changed the rhetoric are are things people need to think about.
2: I think that's a good point. We talked about this in the context of other sectors in the past, Guy, where ETF flows govern how individual stocks trade, even though those stocks may not necessarily warrant that sort of decline or appreciation. Um, Do you see that also playing a role? I think Tim
3: makes a great point. I'm gl- glad he brought it up because, you know, two of the pillars, I mean, two of the pillars, I mean, there are many, but two of them have been Fed put and this passive investing, which has really just taken the world by storm over the last couple of years. And passive investing is great on the way up. It's not so great on the way down. When passive becomes active, that's a concern. And Tim mentioned, you know, I, I had it in front of me. I don't have it now. But how many ETFs Apple's in and how many of those is Apple a top 10 holding And again, when that money flow comes in, it's fantastic and it lifts that boat. It's just um, problematic when it stops. And we've seen it stop a number of times. And I'm not suggesting we're on the precipice of this, but you go back and look over the last four years or so, you've had a number of 20 to 35% peak to trough declines in Apple that have been extraordinarily healthy. And I think you want one to happen again, and that would suggest we get back down about 153, 154, then you load the boat. By the way, Mel, whether you realize it or not, and I know you do, your good times, bad times, Zeppelin won. First song, first side was genius early on in this show. Well done by you.
2: Okay, I'm going to move on. Um, the year's biggest bull market bull says put a fork in the tech trade. Chris Harvey is the head of equity strategy at Wells Fargo Securities. Chris, good to see you. I know you could probably explain that to me, but I think that's for another show. Chris. Um, you say it's time to move up move up in quality and down in risk, but we're seeing this rotation out of mega cap tech, which some would argue, many would argue, is up in quality and down in risk. So how do you reconcile what we're seeing going on right now?
1: Yeah. So what I think we're talking about, too, is you have to differentiate between what's cyclical and what's not cyclical. So software or, or software and semiconductors are two different beasts. One is much more cyclical, one's much more secular. And what's happening is we're seeing that secular trade really unwind. You're seeing it in the high-growth companies, and you're seeing it in Microsoft today. And I think that's partly related to what we're seeing with the Fed. What the market is saying very loudly, and a lot of people don't agree with this, but the market is saying this, is the Fed is not going to make a policy error. By hook or by crook, they are going to contain inflation, or they're going to keep it moderate. Because what you're seeing is the yield curve is flattening with the front end coming up, and you're seeing break-evens come down. And that's an environment that's not very hospitable to stagflation. But stagflation is a great environment for these high flyers. Stagflation is a great environment for software. And that's what's changed. More importantly, we've also had a lot of hedge fund de-risking and de-grossing in the last couple of days, in the last couple of weeks. And many of them have been crowded into these high growth names and into these software names. We think that's ending. But if you're trading or, or you're investing on a price-to-sales basis and not, not on a price-to-earnings basis, you're not having a very happy um, end to the year. Let's just say that.
4: Chris, it's Karen. Thanks for being on. So if one were to follow your advice, then, does that, by definition, right. leaving that, leaving that investor into value stocks, whether it's financials or industrials, mm-hmm. is that where you should put your money now?
1: So— Karen, what we're telling people is we want cyclical quality, right? So we want better balance sheets. We want better, we want better stewards of capital, better management teams. We want good secular stories. Some we can find in industrials, such as the aerospace uh, group. We think there's a great secular story there. We think there's good balance sheets, and we think there's great opportunity. We think you can find that in uh, financials as well, as particularly banks. But you can also find that in parts of tech, more so in your your semiconductors and your hardware type space. So basically what we want is we want good balance sheets. And we do want some cyclicality because we don't think the run's over. But we do want to get more conservative. We do want to downshift a little bit right here, right now.
2: Chris, you know, we talked about the impact of the retail trader this year. That's certainly been a big headline of 2021. And you had an interesting chart in your latest note, which we highlighted yesterday on the show, um, the percent of household assets and equities. And it's it's higher than it has been, at least uh, according to the chart that you have off of all the years that you go back that you show. And I'm wondering how you think this plays out in terms of, you know, if the Fed is going to fight inflation by hook or by crook, that could mean negative things for the stock market, and that could mean um, a negative impact on household wealth?
1: So, Melissa, there's two reasons why we highlighted this chart. One has to do with the market. The other has to do with spending. If you look at the last time there was a big spike, it was the late 90s. And really what this told you, when you get this peak, it's more about what has happened, not so much the good times that are about to happen. You've had a really good run in the equity market. You've pulled a head return. And the next couple of years may not be so great. That's what we saw in the late 90s. That's what we're beginning to think now. On the spending side, as you tie more than net worth to the stock market, at some point the stock market will pull back. That pullback is going to influence sentiment a lot more than it did in the past. And and by association or by default, that's also going to influence discretionary spending, consumer spending. And so now the stock market has a much bigger part of the economy today than it did 10 years ago. And that's important to take note of. And that's, that's very, very important as you restructure portfolios
2: all right Chris good to see you thank you thank you Chris Chris Harvey Wells Fargo Securities Jeff Mills um, how do you think that that plays out in terms of household wealth and the impact of of what we're seeing what at least this week for the stock market as it, as we come off of record highs look
5: I, I think it's it's certainly possible that it has an impact but at the same time I feel like households in general are in pretty good shape from a fundamental standpoint so perhaps that isn't really the main governor on the stock market. you know, When I think about you know, my thesis for next year again, it's more about price to earnings ratios potentially coming down because the economy is slowing down in general and people become a little bit more risk averse. When I think about next year, and the potential EPS growth, say somewhere around 10%, I think that's consensus. If you get a 1% tick down in the PE ratio, you're talking about a return in the stock market that's somewhere in the 5% range. So I agree in the sense that you may end up with meager returns in 2022, and it's largely because of this slowdown thesis that I'm talking about. I still think, you know, Chris talked about quality. I still think that you can find that quality in certain areas of technology, and, and we've seen that play out in the past. So that's where I'm focusing my attention uh, as as I think about next year.
2: All right. Coming up, the apes are back at it. AMC and GameStop bouncing back after days of losses. We'll talk about what's next for these names of one of the top voices in the trade. Plus, Uber's best week ever, the company's CEO giving a big boost to the stock as bookings pass a major milestone. We've got the details next. Don't go anywhere. Fast Money's back right after this. Welcome back to Fast Money. Checkout shares of Uber surging in today's session. The company's CEO saying Uber had its best week ever in terms of gross bookings last week. Uber gaining more than 4%. The news also giving fellow ride-sharing company Lyft a boost. So is ride-sharing back in business? Um, This is particularly good news because we have been dealing with Omicron and and the fear surrounding that. We also um, spoke to uh, Lyft not too long ago who said so far no impact on bookings. This is a couple weeks back at this point. Guy so ride-sharing, I mean, it's, it seems almost, imp- I don't want to say impervious, but at this point, people are back.
3: Inconceivable, impervious, whatever word you want to use. And yeah, people are back, but yes, you're right, we had the lift. I guess it was the CEO on a couple of weeks ago. And we asked him if his stock was too cheap, and he categorically said yes. I think it was trained 38 at the time. And go back and look at the quarter they put up prior to that. I think it was an extraordinary quarter. So I just don't think, I think they're being penalized on the back of the variant and the concern sort of shoot first ask questions later but some analysts have come forth I think UBS put a $57 price target on left I don't know if it gets there but I think it goes significantly higher than what's trading now I think both these stocks are by if you make me play the game see what I did there would you yeah. rather? I would rather Lyft over Uber.
2: You think that gets you out of the penalty box, but it doesn't because you still self would you rather. I mean, this is sort of ride sharing is sort of like a, a real time barometer mm-hmm. on on where the economy is at any one given time. And so I'm wondering, Tim, if you think ride sharing is back, the extrapolation is that what people are booking flights, people are booking vacations, people, I mean, people are planning out as well.
0: Well, just because Guy did it, I'll take the other side of his trade. I, I, I like Uber here, and I think it's a function of a couple things. And let's not forget, there are uh, e- either industry-specific dynamics, including you know, gig workers, uh, obviously a big EU gig worker, dynamic for both Uber and and Lyft coming out. But I think you have a case here. Um, If you listen to uh, Uber today, a couple things. One, uh, they generally see their business closer to pre-pandemic levels uh, than they do pandemic levels. In fact, significantly closer to pre-pandemic. They're also in a position to be more thoughtful in how they manage their balance sheet. They talked about possibly monetizing uh, stakes, of which they have multiple. In, in, in non-strategic positions like DD and whatnot. And by the way, uh, I'm not sure I'd be monetizing that stake here after the, the drubbing that it's taken. But um, if you look at where the stock's trading, and again, I'll go with Uber now, um, Uber somewhere between 32 and 38, this is your range that you settled into in the early days of, of assessing where we were coming out of uh, COVID. And, and so, um, I've always said around Uber, I, I like the fact that their business is more complex, that in fact, they are going for that super app dynamic. And I think multiple business here um, where they are responsible for transportation as a service um, for many things uh, is, is the way to go. And why not have the economies of scale? They're getting closer and they're getting closer to profitability.
2: Karen, your thoughts on ride sharing or do you see this as a way at uh, gleaning into you know investors or, or people's mindsets? surrounding going to concerts let's say in terms of your your position in live nation
4: yeah i well i was thinking you know where are the majority of those riders are they in areas that are more vax tend to be more vaccinated and maybe therefore more i I, i'm assuming that would mean the population more likely to go out and do things but maybe that's maybe that's not exactly right i don't know i think that we're getting used to this idea that we're going to have covid with us one way or another So and each variant, of course, seems to have less effect. So I feel like the ride sharing business has found its footing. And I think we'll see. Both will maybe reach profitability in the next year. But um, to me, I I agree with Guy. I like Lyft. Um, I think that to me, I like the simpler business model. Right. I know uh, Tim prefers the more complicated one, but I feel like when you have that complicated one, the market sort of always gravitates to whatever the lower multiple business ends up being. So I like the pure play of Lyft. And I feel I do have reopen exposure in names
2: like uh, Live Nation, for sure, and Ulta, for example. All right. We are just getting started here on Fast Money. Here's what's coming up next.
6: The Reddit crowd strikes back. AMC and GameStop trying to shake off some major losses. So are the apes back in action? Plus, buy now, pay never. The new trend facing some old problems. The traders are breaking down the details. You're watching Fast Money, live from the NASDAQ market site in Times Square. We're back right after this.
2: Welcome back to Fast Money. Check out shares of AMC rebounding after Monday's 15% plunge. Today's comeback came on some absolutely blockbuster trading volume. Check this out. AMC traded more than 106 million shares today. That's more than Tesla, Facebook and NVIDIA combined. Our next guest is all in on this trade. He's an AMC investor who often talks about this stock on his YouTube channel, which is more than 372,000 subscribers. Um, welcome back, Matt Kors. Good to see you.
8: Happy to be here. Great to see you. What is the
2: what is the mentality? What is the sentiment at this point, um, this far into the trade, having seen some pretty steep declines? Because as we go into the end of the year, there's concern um, with just the macro environment hitting high-flying stocks, especially the meme stocks, and, and a lot of new traders have never traded in this sort of environment before. Haven't seen these, uh, you know, stocks move in integers down.
8: Yeah, I, I think you actually hit the nail on the head right there with. I think the prevailing winds are more concerns from the bigger players, the whales, institutions, hedge funds and other things related to that of being very very cautious with this upcoming Fed meeting, being very cautious with what a multi-decade high inflation rate. So I think you're seeing from the larger players a pivot out of some of what would be best be described as a high risk bet as terms in terms of the the apes, the retail traders I think many people are still strongly holding on to this entire concept of diamond handing because this play, this particular one, AMC, GME, it's much more symbolic of the fight for market transparency and fairness. Yes, we can chop up all these other trades, look at their their revenues, their EBITDA, all that great stuff. But these two particularly I would actually define it on the retail side as some of the easiest trades because the people involved in it, they buy and they're waiting and many, many people, and this might just be anecdotal, are willing to ride it all the way down to zero if need be.
2: Which sounds good, you know, on paper, but when when you have a lot of people who, on the way up, were so glad about it going up, being able to pay off their mortgages, etc., you know, some life-changing amounts of money being made, that's hard to swallow. And so, Matt, when we take a look at the trading volume, and we highlighted today's trading volume being 100 million, its 30-day mm-hmm. average is 41 million. Facebook or Meta's 30-day average is 21 million, so it's twice that of even Meta on um, on a, on a just an average day out there. You're saying basically that all of that other trading activity, that's, that's just people, other investors trading around, the, but the retail trader is holding on still?
8: I would strongly think that the data actually suggests that. I think with the high volatility, as we both know, there's going to be quite a bit of action between market makers and high frequency traders, because whenever there's high volatility, of course, and we're also comparing it to stocks that are numerically more valuable so it's it's easier to trade obviously more volume in a stock that's priced at a lesser volume uh, a lesser price in general relative to amc but i think with it it's just the high volatility there's going to be a lot of high frequency trading. there's going to be a lot of market makers yes there is a lot of excitement in retail but i think there's also some bigger players who are highly attached to this particular play
2: you mentioned before that a lot of um, holders of AMC are believers in this notion that you can enact market change. Um, payment for order flow is one big issue, of course, uh, that, that this community says should be solved, should, should go away. And I'm wondering if you are a, an AMC diamond hander, are you, should, should the pair trade be short Robin Hood, which, by the way, saw its <laughs> lowest level in today's session?
8: That's an excellent question. So overall with the apes, I think there's people who have their favorite equities. And I think a core pillar of being an ape is still really, really caring about market transparency. And that might not even be tied to a particular equity, but talking about Robin Hood, I've said this publicly before, I have three words for you. I am bearish, bearish, bearish. If we dive into the fundamentals of what's going on with Robin Hood, the last quarter, I believe they burned $1.3 billion. The quarter before that, they burned half a billion dollars. It's safe to say that it's not a good situation there. Um, the only reason Previously, before that, they did well was kind of these idiosyncratic events such as the explosion in Dogecoin, the explosion in GameStop where they profited off of payment for order flow. But now in the previous quarter, we didn't have one of those wild events. They didn't really jump onto the Shiba train so they weren't able to profit off of that. And now if we move this forward, when they're making money off of crypto and that's getting a little bit more quiet and off payment for order flow, which it really sounds like in the next calendar year, there's gonna be fireworks on the regulatory front that very much relates to this. Their business model is very quickly falling apart. So that's a quick fundamental breakdown. But on more of the social standpoint, I think one of the most difficult jobs of the year was to be on the PR team of Robinhood. It was a dumpster fire. The retail public very much lost their faith in the company. And I don't blame them. In the company's prospectus, they said a risk to them is a reduction in spreads between bid and ask. That is a risk to the company, which is something beneficial to traders. That's right in their own SEC filing. So I just don't see a way in which they can win the trust of the retail public back.
2: Mm -hmm. Matt, good to see you. Thanks for your time.
8: Thank you so much.
2: Matt Kors, um, it's interesting on Robinhood, Guy, because Robinhood was enabled by this wave of retail investors. And Robinhood might be seeing this decline in part because of a backlash amongst these retail investors.
3: Yeah, it's interesting. And I've said this for a while now. I said the only thing sort of novel or innovative about robin hood was the name and the hair and that's proven to be true i mean the stock goes down every <laughs> single day and it probably now is the level where maybe it makes sense just in terms of market cap and quickly in terms of the diamond hands things which i totally get by the way and again we've been pretty steadfast we have the utmost respect for the guys and gals that have been doing this but you know the william wallace of this whole thing you know adam aaron i mean recently just announced he sold three hundred and twelve thousand shares of amc mm-hmm. he's the ceo and the cfo sold eighteen thousand shares so you would think if anybody believes in the story it's them it's just interesting and then finally and i'm and i'm not suggesting this is the case but fundamentals should you know it's funny when fundamentals fundamentals don't matter for certain stocks but they matter for others like Robinhood. i I just think you got to be somewhat consistent there
2: or some of these diamond handers will say oh spider-man that should be that should move the needle on this but that's a fundamental argument which hadn't or or hadn't been made before. Fundamentals shouldn't have mattered. And yet when a CEO or CFO sells the CFO position, selling the entire position that he has, um, that's just swept under the rug, Jeff. What's your take on this trade?
5: Yeah, I actually want to ask Matt about that because I know in the past he's mentioned the the holiday movie slate and things of that nature. So I wonder if their thesis is more, okay, that's another momentum spark versus that's actually going to help the fundamentals catch up to the price. Because I think the second argument there is a really hard one to make. I understand the momentum argument. I actually tweeted out yesterday, you know, have the apes thrown in the towel. And they very quickly shoved that tweet in my face today with the volume and, and price action. But at the same time... Maybe the momentum's not gone, but I think it's clearly waning. I think AMC, GameStop, broken that 200-day moving average. Guy mentioned the insider selling. The fundamental story we all know is really difficult to make. And I just think the market is shifting. It's giving less credit to cash flows further out into the future. You know, these high growth stories and, and a lot of other really popular stocks that I think a lot of these investors have owned have gotten absolutely killed. So you may be in a situation where these folks have to sell what they can These stocks have levitated uh, and then i also wonder kind of where new buyers come from maybe the price recovers back to previous levels it's been kind of flat all year Mm -hmm. but what's that next catalyst and when do you get out and why Uh, those are all questions i still have
2: yeah well amc is also seeing some blockbuster options activity today so let's get to mike co for that mike yeah
3: amc is uh, actually typically one of the top 10 most active single stock options at least in contract terms and it ranked fifth today We did see about uh, 1.7 times the average daily put volume. The most active puts were the December 20s, those expire on Friday. About 44,000 of those traded for 64 cents. That's roughly double the 22,000 or so open interest that we saw at the beginning of the day. I think one of the important things that I would take away from taking a look at the options volume over time is that while we have seen call volumes steadily declining over the course of the last quarter, we have actually seen put volumes steadily increasing in fact over the last five days it's probably been double what the average was in the couple months that we saw before that so it is possible that maybe some of the diamond hands are holding on to their stock maybe they're doing some hedging as well though just in case
2: yep i'm sure they are thanks mike for more options action be sure to tune into the full show friday 5 30 p.m eastern time coming up buy now pay maybe <laughs> alarming new numbers on the growing delinquencies in the payment space how it could impact the top players in the trade and later Just in time for Christmas, a double dog dare downgrade. Goldman Sachs taking the stock from a buy to a sell. The name when Fast Money returns. Welcome back to Fast Money. Take a look at some of the names in the buy now, pay later space. Shares of Affirm and Block formerly known as Square, both falling in today's session. And analysts over at Mizuho are raising a red flag on this trade. The firm out with a new note today titled Buy Now, Pay Maybe, highlighting a growing number of delinquencies and missed payments from users. According to the firm's survey, 53% of users with household incomes below $75,000 a year have missed at least one payment, and 40% of users borrow through multiple Buy Now, Pay Later apps analyst Dan Dolov citing potential risks to names like Affirm, Block, and PayPal if buy now, pay later comes under regulatory scrutiny. Karen, how much of a concern do you think this is? This is, um, you know, a fast-growing part of, of fintech and one that is driving a lot of growth. Right.
4: Well, it's driving a lot of growth in fintech, but it's probably also driven a lot of growth for consumer discretionary, right? When you think about, I think, Peloton very large Affirm, I believe, very, maybe the biggest Affirm customer, you know, is that over? And so there's a few places sort of to go with it, these stocks in particular. So that's clearly, you know, you start to get credit quality, that's concerning. But then also I think about, so a MasterCard and a Visa got hit a lot on the idea of, OK, you know, the, the way people pay is changing. I don't know if this will be good for them. Um, or if the part that is, well, just the consumer is going to be slowing, if that's the more heavy sort of element of it, that would probably be bad for them. That would also be bad for banks and credit card issuers as well if credit starts to worsen. So there's a lot to be you know unhappy about or worried about here. I didn't own these buy now pay later or, or related ones just because mm-hmm. they're too expensive, sort of in that super high multiple. But it is, it is concerning.
2: Yeah, the point has made that for these households in particular, there's less wiggle room to recover um, from from something like this. And, and the notion that they are taking out multiple loans or buying multiple items on buy now, pay later. Um, and so each individual firm may not have a full picture of the risk they are taking on in terms of the consumer's ability to pay back that loan to him. That's also troubling and, and maybe not completely accounted for in valuation.
0: Well, yeah, it's a technology question, and, and that's been the point, that, that the ability to make, uh, you know, millisecond credit analysis decisions is something that that's part of the evolution of technology. Let's see. I, I think credit delinquencies uh, certainly will be higher in 22. Uh, is that something that won't universally be felt across anyone who has credit exposure? I mean, you know, are, 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 are these folks at the front of the line possibly? Uh, I think this is more about valuation yet again. I, I think uh, pricing in both of, you know, a firm's pricing in 60 plus percent growth. It's also pricing in uh, lending that's not by now paid later, uh, part of, of, of their overall business model that doesn't even exist yet. Uh, these are the issues that I think we got a little too excited with a new wave consumer. Um, and I think we're staring at good old fashioned credit dynamics, but also good old fashioned valuation dynamics.
2: Yeah. Uh, Brian Moynihan on Closing Bell said credit quality is strong. So, Guy, I'm wondering if this is a concern overall or do you think this is sort of niche It's It's a small subset of the consumer.
3: I think it's niche-y. I wonder, I I don't know the answer, how much crypto plays into this. You know, if crypto Hmm. would continue to sort of get beaten up, what does that mean? You wonder if, you know, a lot of these are the same people that, you know, the buy now, pay later, same people in crypto. One has to wonder just anecdotally. And then I would say PayPal gets lumped in. Get it. I think PayPal's a little bit different, and I think most of this off, in my opinion, has been done. We talked about it last week. It traded down PayPal to that level we broke out from in the summer of 2020, 175. And I think sort of all the bad news, again, my opinion, is out. Obviously, what did them in was the Pinterest news in the subsequent quarter. But I think that 175 level for PayPal specifically is something to trade on the long side against.
2: All right, coming up, Disney losing some magic after analysts slashed their price target for the stock. We'll tell you what is behind that call next. Welcome back to Fast Money. Disney suffering from a, quote, crisis of confidence, according to Morgan Stanley. Analysts keeping an overweight rating on the stock but cutting their price target by 12 percent to 185 from 210. It's our call of the day. Jeff Mills, you on board with this call?
5: Yeah, I think so. And just to summarize the note, I mean, they basically said there are some challenges, but the share price has overreacted. And and I generally agree with that. There's no question that the stock got too expensive at seventy-three times forward earnings. I think now at thirty-three times versus Netflix at forty-three times, we're back into a range which I would consider reasonable. Morgan Stanley pointed out five things that they thought. Could regain investors' confidence. But I think the bottom line there is user experience given the content fragmentation. We've talked about about that a lot on the show in terms of where do I find stuff? Is it on Hulu? Is it in the theaters? Is it on Disney Plus? And then also content generation. And I personally think that Disney has the wherewithal to solve those particular issues. So I don't think that the growth story is over there. We initially initiated a position in Disney at 143 back in November of 2020. So we're holding here. And for those that don't own it, I think it's a good entry point.
2: What's a good entry point in your view, Guy?
3: That's exactly right. And we've talked about it on the show for a while. We had said we were waiting for a pullback back to the December 2019 all-time high at the time which was right around 145 or so before everything sort of cratered. Obviously, we know what happened there. And we got it. We got it on December 1st and December 2nd. So I thought the 210 price target was too high. I happen to agree with the new price target. And quite frankly, I think you can stay long against these levels. So I'm with Jeff Mills on this one.
2: All right. Coming up, when it comes to betting, you've got the casinos. Uh, sports betting, even the stock market. But one startup is expanding the betting horizon. We will explain that next. You're watching Fast Money Live from the Nasdaq market site in Times Square. Back right after this. Welcome back. Here's a sneak peek at the Kramer cam. Jim is talking with the CEO of Bausch Health. Catch that full interview, exclusive interview at the top of the hour in Mad Money. And speaking of Jim, he is doubling down on one big oil bet, Kramer's Charitable Trust buying another 200 shares of Chevron today. Jim lays out the reasons why in today's Investing Club newsletter. Check it all out with the information right there on your screen. We know you can bet on a stock, a winning horse, next year's Super Bowl champion. That's old news. But these days, you can wager on so much more. A startup called Kalshi allows you to place trades on everything from whether Turkey will join the EU to will Olivia Rodrigo have the most streamed song of the year to how many people will ride the New York City subway. And of course, you can also trade on the economy. So let's get more on that with Tarek Mansour, the co-founder and CEO of Kalshi. Tarek, great to have you with us.
9: Excited to be here. Thanks for having me.
2: First of all, you're CFTC regulated. So this is, uh, th- this is all legit, so to speak. What are you surprised at at the things that people want to bet on these days, or are you not surprised that there is this sort of gambling mentality in our society?
9: Yeah, I mean, I mean, mean, honestly, for us, you know, we see it. You know, people are essentially trading on things that have legitimate sort of what we see as economic and social utility. Um, And oftentimes, what people are trading on is not necessarily surprising because people are trading on the things that are pretty much on top of mind. Things are, you know, in the news uh, on a weekly or even daily basis. Um, and these things, you know, we're talking about things like, you know, Omicron and how it's going to, you know, evolve over time, GDP and how it's going to evolve, recessions, or, you know, how inflation is going to go. Um, and these are things that have very sort of, you know, real and tangible economic impacts on, you know, millions of lives, pretty much anyone in the economy. And so it's, you know, what we see is you know, Scalci's mission is allowing people to trade on these things, uh, trade on, you know, things that direct them um, and direct their bottom lines um, right. in a way that they can relate to.
2: One of the most active contracts on your site is, will 2021 be the hottest year on record? So what are what are people saying about that? And what, what is the payout right now?
9: Yeah, absolutely. You know, right now, you know, the market is pricing a very, you know, high unlikelihood for twenty twenty one to be the hottest year on record. Um, you know, they're saying that it, it won't be uh, the hottest year on record. The payout, if you actually got by yesterday, uh, you know, we're talking about a 20x payout. If in the offshoot that 2021 does end up being, uh, the hottest city on record, um, which is you know, one of these sort of leveraged things that our product can offer for traders. All
2: right. There's also a lot of things about the economy that people can bet on. Um, and just to give the viewers some some context here, CPI, the bets on CPI for the last reading was actually on target in terms of what people were betting on and the outcome of CPI. Um, the most active contract right now in, in terms of economic betting is will, what will GDP be in the fourth quarter? So what are people saying?
9: Yeah, I mean, sort of in terms of GDP, you know, right now we have all sorts of, uh, you know, pundits and, you know, the Atlanta of sort of went out and said that, you know, we might be looking at 8.7, so 9 so percent growth this quarter. Our markets are pricing it between 5 and 7.5 percent. So not as bad as last quarter, but, you know, not as optimistic uh, as some of the sort of the government officials uh, are giving us. Um, so that's sort of what we're landing right now.
2: You think—just quickly, do you think this changes after tomorrow in the Fed meeting?
9: You know, it all depends. Obviously, the market, what our markets are really good at is, you know, the Fed meeting will happen. There's going to be new information coming from the Feds. Oftentimes, you know, there's going to be fancy headlines. The stock market's going to move, you know, you know, over, you know, know, overshoot or undershoot and then adjust. What our markets, our traders are really good at is, you know, taking in new information, you know, thinking about, you know, what their prior forecasts are, how to incorporate this information into their new forecast and calibrating. So over time, our markets are, do a great job, at, you know, providing a real time, gauge of public sentiment and forecast for these sort of future events.
2: Yeah. Fascinating. Tarek, thanks. Tarek Mansur of Kalshi. Um, I don't know, Karen, would you, would you bet on whether it's going to be the hottest year on record next year? I mean, there, there's all sorts of interesting things. And, and maybe it's an interesting other data point in terms of where people are thinking and how people are thinking about the economy.
4: I think that, that hottest record, I'm wondering, here we are at December 14th, is there enough data to know that unless those next, you know, whatever, 17 days are super hot, it can't possibly be the hottest year on record. So I'm guessing that maybe people are a lot more informed. Is it really different than what we do? It sounds different, sort of, but maybe it really isn't. So I don't know. I've, I I think this this investing slash gambling thing is here to stay.
2: Yeah. All right. Up next, we got your final trade. Final trade time. Tim. Early COVID
0: darling Clorox was then dumped. I think it's starting to build a base. Lower cost inputs.
2: Karen.
4: Hey, I want to be in Bank of America. Low valuation and higher rates. Better for the business. Jeff Mills.
5: E. A. The chart caught my eye today. It showed some pretty convincing strength off of 120, which should have been technical support. It was. It's at the low end of its historical valuation range. So I think the risk reward is
3: pretty good here. Guy. Lockheed
2: Martin. Thank you for watching Fast Money. See you back here tomorrow at 5. Mad Money starts right now.
6: This podcast is supported by FedEx. Dear small and medium businesses, no one wants happy customers more than you do.